Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the North Point Community Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free North Point app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at North Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, not too long ago, um, I came out to my car. I was coming out of a store, and I came out to my car. I was walking to my car, and I realized um, that the fog lights, I have a Jeep, and the, the fog lights at the bottom of my Jeep, one of them was cracked, and the other one was completely broken, like the, the glass on the outside of it. And um, I had remembered a few day, days earlier, I was driving, I heard something hit the car. I thought it was the windshield, and, but I didn't see anything. And so I just saw it for the first time, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to take it. Uh, there's a body shop not far away, and I'm going to take it and find out what it costs to get it fixed. So I go in there, and the guy tells me what it's going to cost me for them to fix the fog lights. And I was like, I'm not sure the car is worth that. So I, I, needless to say, I didn't get it uh, fixed, but I went home and I thought, you know what, I wonder what those things cost. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up online and look it up online. And, and I come to find out, you know, for one of those third-party vendors, like, it's not that expensive. And I thought, I can do this. Like, I can switch out this fog light. How hard can it be? So I, I ordered the fog lights. It was kind of humorous because I only ordered two and um, they had a mistake and they sent me two cases so, like, I had these two gigantic boxes show up. My wife was like, what are you doing with these? And I was like, I don't know. I think I only ordered two. And come to find out it was a mistake. But she was like, no, but really, what are you doing with these? And I was like, oh, I'm going to replace the fog lights in my car. And she's like, like, you're going to do it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, how hard can it be? So I, I did what you would do. I pulled up YouTube. And I was like, there's got to be a YouTube video. Certainly there was. And so I pull up the YouTube video and, and I, I go out and, I, you know, it, it was some work. And I, but the guy led me right through the whole thing. And lo and behold, I got him installed, turned it on. And so what do I do? I go in the house. I'm like, babe, come out here. You got you to come see this. Come look at this. I turned them on. She goes, what? I go, I fixed the lights. Look at them. They're amazing. She's like, well, mine's cracked on my car. Why don't you fix mine too? And so I'm like. No problem. I got this. So I order the fog lights for her car. They come in. I, I install them in her car. It's a little more difficult. Her car's lower to the ground. I don't have some of those fancy ramp things, although when, every time I have a, a job or something to do around, do, do around the house, I do what you guys do. I go to Home Depot and look for an excuse to buy something new, but the, little, the ramps were a little too much. So I found these salt bags. We, have, we had a water softener in my garage, and I literally stacked them on top of each other, and I drove the front wheels up on top of the salt bags. I thought, it works just as good. Probably not a great idea to get underneath there, but I did it anyway. So I got it, fixed the lights. They work perfect. And so a couple months later, uh, I, was, I was driving. All of a sudden, my car overheats, and I realize, you know, there's a problem. I get it checked out, and it's the radiator. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, there, there's no, it's not going to be worth it to fix this radiator. What am I going to do? Do I just get a new car? It's an older car. Like, do I get a new car or whatever? And, and um, I thought, fix the fog lights. I can fix the radiator. <laughs> I mean, how hard can it be, right? So, so I get my car home, and, you know, it's, it's summertime, so I can't drive it very far because, you know, I got the heat on, you know, so the car doesn't overheat. So I get it home, and I start tearing it apart. I order the radiator. I start tearing it apart, and, and like, I get the front grill off. I get everything open, and, like, I can't even get the radiator out, and I realize, like, I am way over my head. And I was like, I need help. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in this place where you got yourself into something and you're like, 
you know, I, I'm way over my head or I, I just, I need some help here. And, and maybe, maybe it's a situation where uh, you, you, you were trying to win a client and they were like, well, hey, could you, can, you, can you provide this service? And you don't even know what they're talking about. You're like, sure, absolutely. And you, know, you get the deal and you're like, oh my gosh, I need some help. Like, I don't know how to do this thing. Or maybe it was in a job interview. They were looking for a certain skill set you knew you didn't have and you, you told them you did. And so they, you got hired for the job and now you're like, I gotta get this skill set before I start the job. Or you know, maybe it's something more difficult. Maybe you found yourself in a financial situation where you overcommitted yourself and you, the, you know, the, the deals didn't come through and now you're trying to figure out and shuffle the funds and it's like you're really in need of some help or, or, or maybe for you, you jumped into marriage and you thought, how hard can that be? You know? and, and then you realize it's really challenging and, and marriage isn't easy and, and you realize, man, we, we need some help and it's hard to ask for help or, or maybe you have teenagers. This is where we're at right now. And you, do, you turn around and you wake up one day and now you have teenagers. And I don't know how that happens, but just all of a sudden, everything is like, dad, you know, like you're always preaching to me or whatever. And, and like nothing you say is like relevant to their life and you don't know anything about anything. And it like happens overnight. And you're like, how do we do this? And how do we coach our kids? And how do we lead our kids? And and you've been in situations where you just thought, I need some help. And this, this a situation like that, maybe uh, for some of you, is what brought you back to church. Maybe what, it's what you brought you to church for the first time. And I just want you to know, like, it, it's, it's sort of a very common human experience. Um, in fact, many of us have faced this not just in life, but in our faith. You, you, some of you, you, when you chose to become a Jesus follower, if you're a Jesus follower, you surrendered your life, you made a decision to commit to follow Jesus, and initially... Um, you know, that, that was like a, a really sort of exciting thing, a thrilling experience. But like, as you started off in life, you thought everything's gonna change for the better and it didn't. In fact, for some of you, life got harder. And, and as you were trying to align uh, your behaviors or your relationships or your finances or your sexuality to the way of Jesus that, that's talked about in the New Testament, like this is the way to live and this is the way to find life and this is the way God wants you to, to operate. It, 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 you realize this is not easy. Like this is a difficult thing. And what happened is at some point you realize something. You realize what all of us realize at some point. You realized, I can't do this. I can't do this. I, and, and I certainly can't do this on my own. And, and some of us started to think, well, maybe this isn't for me. This following Jesus thing's just not for me. Or maybe it didn't take, like I, I committed and I prayed, but maybe God didn't really hear me. He didn't understand what I was really saying. And, or maybe I did it wrong, or there's something wrong with me, or there's something missing. There's something that I'm missing in, in this thing. And, and here's, the, here's the good news is, is that's very common in the Christian experience. And it didn't catch God by surprise. In fact, he had a plan for it. Just Jesus, just before he left the earth, he, he gave some instruction to his followers. And he said this, he said, and here's what I'm gonna do. Now I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. And we, we started last week uh, in this series uh, about the invisible God, the spirit of God. And last week, um, we started with this Hebrew word. We started in the beginning and we discovered uh, this Hebrew word uh, for, for uh, spirit. And the Hebrew word is ruach. And this word ruach, it, it can be translated spirit, but it can also be translated uh, wind or uh, breath or conscience. 
It's all these things, um, they have two things in common. They're, they're invisible in their essence and they're, they're an animating energy. You can't see them, but they make things move and they power things. And, and one of the conclusions we made last week is that the Ruah of God is this unseen power of God. And it's a power of God that Jesus said would, would come. And, and the Father promised to send this spirit and he was gonna come. And specifically, uh, this, this energy, this invisible energy was a, was a creating power or a creating energy. And it was an empowering energy. These are three things we looked at last week. And, and, and the third one is, it's a guiding energy. And there's, there's lots of uh, other roles of the spirit, but these are the three we introduced last week. And the, this week, I wanna talk about this empowering role of the spirit. Because Jesus said, look, I, I'm gonna leave, but I'm gonna send you the spirit. And, and he, he gave some, some qualifying instructions. He said, but stay here. Don't go anywhere yet. Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven, which is sort of like, well, what, what's gonna happen? How's that gonna look? What's it gonna be like? Don't worry about it. it. It's coming, but just stay here. Don't go anywhere. And what we don't realize is in the original language, this is a warning. This stay here is an imperative. And, and, and Jesus is with some urgency. He's saying, look, wait here. Don't go anywhere and, and the question that, that, that needs to be asked is why? Why the urgency? And the fact that it isn't immediately obvious to us indicates that Jesus' view of the Spirit and Jesus' view of his role in our lives was different than what maybe our view is or what his first follower's view was. See, this might make a few of us a little uncomfortable, especially if you've been around church for a long time, but Jesus is urgency and his warning was born out of his own need. We, we often emphasize uh, and maybe overemphasize the divinity of Jesus. You know, the, the scriptures say that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And we, we overemphasize his, his divinity and we understate his humanity, but he was human in every possible way. And here's another interesting thing. You can go search the, the New Testament, uh, specifically the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are four separate accounts of Jesus' life. Jesus never used his divinity, his, his divine power, miracles, to benefit or save or rescue himself. He only used it, that power, on, the, for, on the behalf or for the benefit of other people. When Jesus needed help, Jesus turned to the helper. He turned to the spirit, which were, it, it, he said that he, he used to, to guide him and to empower him. Now, you, you, this, is, this is all in, 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 the, in the gospels. When Jesus uh, first started his ministry, he was baptized and, and we were told that the spirit of God rested on him. It, it came out of heaven and, and, and people saw some physical representation of the spirit of God resting on Jesus. And, and then he was, goes into the wilderness and he's tempted significantly. And we're told that the spirit helped him overcome the temptation in the wilderness. And then in the crucifixion, when, when he was uh, beaten and dragged through the streets and it, 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 we're told that the spirit helped him endure the cross. And then after he was buried in the tomb, we're told that after three days, the spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. At every step in his life, Jesus relied on the Spirit. And I believe Jesus' warning was significant and it was important because Jesus knew that self-help is no help. 
that there are some things you're gonna run into and you can go to all of the three steps to a better this or five steps to be successful at that, but you're gonna need help beyond yourself at some point. And that, that help is gonna need to be a divine help. And Jesus didn't live in his own power and he didn't expect you to either. In fact, that's why he said, it's better that I go because this Holy Spirit that the Father promised, he's gonna come, he's gonna be not only with you, He's gonna be in you. And God's spirit, his ruach, as we talked about last week, is God's, his, his presence among his people today in the world today. And, and so here's what I wanna do. I wanna go back to that event. And this is gonna make some of you nervous because some of you may know what's coming. The, the event that Jesus said, stay here and, and wait till the spirit comes. It's in Acts chapter two. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Luke was one of those gospel writers, one of the, the guys who wrote a biography of Jesus' life. And, and he also wrote the book of Acts. It was sort of detailed a lot of what happened after Jesus left, what happened amongst his first followers. And so Luke and Acts are sort of a two-volume work. Acts is sort of the continuation of his gospel. And Luke tells us, and after Jesus uh, was resurrected, that he lived on earth for about 40 days and lots of people saw him. And then after he left, he told them, hey, wait here, don't go anywhere, stay, stay together. He was gone for about 10 days. They, they, they waited 10 days together. And, and then what came is called Pentecost. And Pentecost is just, just means 50th. So there was 40 days after the resurrection, 10 days that they waited, 50 days later at Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, which there was just a, a small band at this point because Jesus had a lot of people that, that he had that heard his teaching, but his teaching was difficult. Following his way was difficult. And then when they saw what happened to him, they didn't want that to happen to them. And, and so there were a lot of people that were like, not sure if they wanted to follow the way of Jesus. And so it wasn't that difficult to gather everybody together. They were all together. And suddenly we're told, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. May have sound, uh, sounded a lot like a hurricane, which is pretty relevant in our world, or a tornado. Some of you have been around for that. It was like this roaring, mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting, which sounds terrifying to me. It's like, okay, it's not just outside, it's like inside. And they didn't know what it was gonna be like. It's, it's not like Jesus said, okay, now, listen, when I send the Spirit, here's what's gonna, don't be freaked out. Here's what's gonna happen. Like, they didn't know. And so... This windstorm comes. And then, if that isn't terrifying enough, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, I know this is, this is strange language, but this, is, this was some visual representation that we don't know, some phenomenon that, where the Spirit comes and he, he rests on these people. But here's the most important part. Where he, Luke tells us that, and everyone, everyone present, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is the collection of Jesus' believers, the believers, followers. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So they began speaking in languages that they couldn't previously speak because the Holy Spirit empowered them to do this. And um, at that time, uh, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. So this is important. There, there were not only the Jewish people that grew up in, in, in Israel and part of the na nation of Israel proper, there were people from all over the world that had come to put their trust in Yahweh, their God, and had converted to Ju Judaism. So there were people whose native languages uh, were not Hebrew. They were from different parts of, of nations around the world and they were all living in Jerusalem at the same time. And we're told that when 
Um, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Presumably some of these people had moved to Jerusalem and they hadn't heard their native language from anybody other than people who were from where they were from or when they traveled back. They, so so these, these Jews were speaking this language that was their language. It wasn't something that they didn't understand. They were hearing their native languages being spoken by these believers who had been empowered by the Spirit. And they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, which is like a rural, uneducated area, which would make them think there's no way these people from Galilee, I mean, these, these, all these people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. It's sort of like there's no way these rural, uneducated people are multilingual. Like, I, I, and I don't, I don't know what, how if their judgment was fair or not, but that's sort of what the, the text is saying. I mean, they're probably thinking, we can barely understand them when they speak their own language because they have their own sort of dialect, much less they're speaking our language. And, and they, they stood amazed. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. I mean, you're wondering what's going on. These, are, these people are just drunk, which is super curious. But Peter does what Peter does, and Peter decides to step up, and he's going to get in the middle of things because Peter's never on the outskirts. You never wonder what he's thinking. He just launches out there sometime for better, sometime for worse. Then Peter, he stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd. He's like, listen, 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 listen carefully. All of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, all of you people that were not in this group, you're now the followers and the people that are from different parts of the world, you're hearing these people in your language, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. Thank you, Peter. They're not drunk. As some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Other times they might be drunk, but not this time. It's too early in the morning for them to be drunk. I didn't make this up. It's in the text. What you see, he says, no, they're not drunk. What you see was predicted. This behavior, what, what you're sort of misunderstanding is uh, their, their happiness, their joy, their, their sort of carefreeness. They're kind of giddy, like they're not drunk. What you see was predicted long ago from the prophet Joel. No relation, great name though. No, from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says this, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So these people in this house, they were all filled, filled with the Spirit. So this is what I want to talk about for a few minutes. What is it to be filled with the Spirit? And God says, or uh, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Luke said that God said he was going to pour out his Spirit in the last days. He's quoting Peter. And, and it's like, you know, okay, what, what does that mean? And, and last week we talked about how the Ruah of God is a creating. It gives new life. It brings new life. In the beginning, it created order from chaos. And the Spirit is still doing that. He's bringing order out of chaos in our lives. And that's something we can rely on him for. That's what the creative energy of God does. His, his invisible animating energy, his unseen power of the invisible God, he can create order out of chaos in our lives. But he also has this empowering ability to help us do things we couldn't otherwise do on our own when we're filled with the Spirit. And so while this is unique, and, and this, this experience is, was unique, and this was the first time in the New Testament that the Spirit was sort of poured out to everyone, it's not the first time the Spirit was given. As a matter of fact, um, I know you probably don't play Bible trivia at home. Sometimes we do. 
It's kind of nerdy. I'm a pastor. That's what we do in our family. Not that often because then my kids wouldn't want to come to dinner. But um, the first person that we have record that the spirit was on them was Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament was, he, he's, you may have seen the, the, the Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's actually not just a, a Broadway play. It's a guy in the Bible. And Joseph had brothers and he had this dream that they were gonna bow down to him one day. And, and so they sold him into slavery. They threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. And he got shipped off. He became a slave. Um, and, and then he finds himself in Pharaoh's home and, and Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph's like, I, I, you know, this, we're told the spirit of God was on him and gave him the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. In fact, Pharaoh even recognized that the spirit of God must be on Joseph. So this isn't the first time, but it is unique. And, and I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna detail this because in the Old Testament, um, the spirit of God was given selectively. We, we don't see it given uh, to all people. It was given selectively. And, and it was given temporarily to people, not, not given like for all time. So it was given uh, selectively and temporarily. The, the difference here in the New Testament now is not just that the Spirit's being given to certain individuals for certain tasks. The Spirit of God was poured out on all people. The Spirit of God in the New Testament, and this is different, this is different than what you read in the Old Testament. Something unique and new had happened. And the Spirit is now being given universally. And he's being given, given to all people. So the, here's the thing. All people can be filled with the power and the Spirit of God. And that can kind of seem weird sometimes. It's, so it's like, what does that mean? And I want to talk about that few mo- for a few moments. Because in this case, um, in, in Acts chapter 2, these people were filled with the Spirit and they were able to suddenly speak languages other than their own. Now, this has been misconstrued about what that is. And people talk about this in terms of speaking in tongues. And, 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 and um, I'm not sure exactly why they were speaking these different languages. But maybe it's because the gospel was to go to all people all over the world. And one theory is, is that, that God needed people to speak all these different languages of the nations of the world so that he could then carry his message from these first believers out to people all over the world, which makes a ton of sense to me. But I think we get hyper-focused on this gift, per se. And it's been a, a divisive thing in, in churches. And some traditions claim that if you don't have this ability to speak in what, what's been known as like to speak in tongues, that you don't have the spirit. But that's a very... That's, uh, that's, that's inconsistent with a biblical framework because in the scriptures, there's lots of evidence of people having gifts of the spirit. There's lots of different types of gifts and, and bearing fruit of the spirit. We're gonna talk about that next week. And, and, and they, they, experience, they uh, exhibit other gifts and other fruit of the spirit, but, but not, are, are not able to speak in tongues. And so it, this, is, this is not about everybody having all the same gifts. It's about the gifts the Spirit gives. He gives to empower us to do things we couldn't do on our own, we, to overcome things we couldn't overcome on our own, to carry out the good works that in the beginning he had set out for us to do. What, what's more curious to me about this, and, and I don't want to skip over this part because it's fascinating to me, is being filled with the Spirit in this first case was confused with people who were drunk. <laughs> which I think is so interesting. And I think we ought to talk about it because um, I think it's, it's incredibly relevant. And now some of you are going, okay, this, uh, this is gonna, where is this going? Is this is kind of strange? But I, I, want you to, I want you to know that like, this isn't the only place. The apostle Paul later, he connects these two ideas as well. 
being filled with the Spirit versus being drunk. And he talks about another aspect of being filled. The Spirit wasn't just given universally, it was given in another way as well. And this is what he says to the Ephesians, which are a group of Jesus followers in Ephesus. He said, be careful of how you live. Don't live like fools. Don't be foolish. But like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Basically said, hey, life is difficult. And these are tough times, especially in your, if you're going to follow the way of Jesus. It's not the way of culture. And this is difficult. And, and you need to be careful of how you live. Don't, he goes on, he says, don't act thoughtlessly but understand what the Lord wants you to do, which is difficult to understand sometimes. Don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at the contrast. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like they, they must, there must be a temptation that, that, that connects these two things. They must do something similar. And this indicates, and I'm making some of you really nervous now, but this indicates Something really important, this idea of being filled with the Spirit is a present, ongoing tense in the Scriptures. And so this is not just, hey, he's saying, you know, you were given the Spirit. It was given out at Pentecost. It was given universally to all people. But it, it's also, the Spirit is also given continually. It's not just given that one time to you. You have access to the Spirit, but now you have the opportunity to continually be filled, present, ongoing tense, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Paul's going, look, life is hard. Figuring out the way of Jesus, following out, carrying out the way of Jesus that he says leads to life. It leads to the most abundant kind of life. Sometimes it's, it's difficult. In fact, lots of people walked away from following Jesus because they were like, in fact, this is documented in the gospel. It's like, this teaching is too hard. Like, we, we can't do this. And, and we understand this because sometimes life becomes overwhelming, whether following the way of Jesus or not. Life can be very challenging. And sometimes we face things that are not just overwhelming, they're overpowering. And one of the most common responses when something is overpowering is to look for an escape. And what we do is we look to medicate or to compensate for the pain or difficulty that we're dealing with. And this is, this is what Paul's talking about when he's saying, don't be drunk with, with wine. I mean, that's, that's one way to deal with it. It's one way to escape. But instead, you can be filled with this power. And, and, it, and it seems funny because this really old text is unbelievably relevant. I mean, isn't this what we do? Like, this is what we see in our world when people lack joy or they're in a really difficult place and life is beating them down and they don't even have a song or a tune in their heart and they grind through their day and after work they they they're just they're just you know run down and they're they're tired and they're they've got a bunch of stuff on their mind and they're stressed and so where do we go they go to happy hour right like we go to the bar to go to happy hour and I'm, this isn't judgment. It's like we, 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 we know reflexively we know that we can't live down like that for so long. And we need something to lift us up. We need something to get us out of that. And so we go to happy hour. And, and here's the thing. And some of us, you know, you, you, you're tempted to drink until you don't have to think about these things anymore. And this is exactly what Paul's saying. I know the Bible's so outdated and irrelevant. But he's saying, don't live thoughtlessly. You need to be thoughtful in how you live. And, and I'm not pointing fingers at people that go to happy hour. We all do this. We all have our go-to for the things that we rely on to get us through, right? Like you, you could substitute that. I mean, it could be don't be drunk with 
Cabernet, but it could be don't be drunk with cannabis or Stag Jr. or Louis Vuitton or Amazon or Crumble or Netflix or TikTok or Fortnite. You pick your thing. There's applause for that. I thought you were going to boo me when I mentioned Crumble because that's like a, it's like a crowd favorite, but it's true. This is what we do, right? Like we, we eat something. We, we want to feel good. We don't want to feel, we're primarily happiness seekers and we want to feel good. We want to be okay. And Paul's going, look, the, these things that you're turning to, these escapes, when you, when you go to be drunk with this thing or to escape to this thing, you got to stop doing that. That will ruin your life. Some of you have seen this up, up close and personal, whether it's because you've ignored it and you put it off for so long or because it actually caused you to do other things that you regretted later. It's like, you know, it, it, was, it was like you, you pacified this pain for long enough and, and it multiplied. And the reality is, is, when we face difficult things in life in our own strength. This is what Jesus was saying. That's why he said to wait. Stay here. You're going to need help. You're going to need a helper. You're going to need power. We inevitably run into things in life that are overwhelming and that are overpowering for us in our lives. And that often leads us to either escape into something, which is what the Ephesians were doing, or there's another option, or it causes us to try harder. We double down. We become workaholics. We become, we're going to get it done. We're going to accomplish it on our own. In fact, the, the Ephesians were the people that were the give up. They were sort of like, you know, the, the people that were going to escape. The, the Galatians were the try harder group. And this is what he said to them in, in Galatians chapter three. He said, look, you, you're doing something similar, but in a different way. You received the spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. In the beginning, that's how you received his spirit. How foolish can, be, can you be? After starting your new lives, which this is what we talked about last week, the Spirit comes in you, He creates new life. You have this new life in Christ. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Like, why are you trying to do this on your own? I mean, this is foolish. At one point, you surrendered, realizing you can't save yourself from the brokenness and difficulty of this world. It's that chaos. Like, you realize this chaos is too much. I can't on my own take my chaos and bring it into order. I need help. And so you, you surrendered your life to Christ and the, the power of the Spirit begins to take some of the things that are in chaos and bring them into order. Originally, this is what we, that's what we talked about last week. You experienced this when you came to new life in Christ. The Spirit breathed new life into you. But he also empowers you to live this life not just bring new life, but he can empower you to live out, to deal with all those things that overwhelm or overpower us. And that all sounds great, but the question is how? How do I access this power? If it's, if it's universally given and it's continually something I'm supposed to receive and be filled with, how does that happen? The Apostle Paul says, great question, I got an answer. He says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled, and the things you're looking for are joy and peace and hope in the midst of, of the difficulty and the overwhelming things in life, and it comes as you trust in him, as you trust in God. It's not just that you can be filled up or refilled. You can be filled to over flowing. So here's a, here's a picture. I don't know if this will be helpful for you, but this is helpful for me. I, this is, this is what, I, what I think the Apostle Paul's saying. Some of you know I, I like to draw pictures. This is, a, this is a word picture that I think illustrates what Paul's talking about. He says, look, you, you think of God's spirit like a faucet. 
And what you want God to do is, and, and this is what we all do too, is it's like you, you run into something difficult and, and you're like, God, here's what I need you to do. I need you to, put, to, to turn on your faucet. Could you, could you turn on the faucet to empower me to live my life? And, and, and so it's like, God, I need your power and, and, and I, need, I need your provision in my life. Can you, can you help make up the gap for what I don't have financially or relationally or whatever it is? I need, you, I need you to turn on the faucet and pour it into my life because I'm not experiencing joy and I'm not experiencing peace. And right now I'm having a hard time having hope for, for the future in, in, of this relationship or of my career or other things. And, and I, need you to, I need you to pour on the power of your spirit in my life because the truth is, is how I really feel is I feel like this. I, I, I've been pouring out, I've been pouring out, I've been doing the best that I know how. And I've been trying to do this. I've been, I've been trying to live the way of Jesus or maybe not even live the way of Jesus. I've just been trying to deal with life. And here's, here's kind of where it's gotten me. And now I'm down here and, and I feel... I feel incredibly depleted. In fact, the way I really feel is I feel empty. And whether I'm tempted to give up or try harder, I, I, I just don't know how much more I have to give. And this is what we do. And I think the Apostle Paul's saying, here's the thing. This is what you're missing, is the power of God's Spirit is always flowing. Like it's, it's always the, the, the faucet's always on. It's been given universally and we're supposed to receive the Spirit continually. But what many of us have missed is that it's not by getting God to somehow position himself and, and turn his power on that it, we, we, we receive his, his, the power of his Spirit in our lives. It's when we decide to position ourselves under the authority and flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's how we're filled with the power of God. Now, it's good you're clapping, but wait till you hear the rest of it. <laughs> Here's what that means. We access God's power by positioning himself under the flow of his power, but it's also by positioning ourselves under his authority. You live, you, whether you know this or not, you live under the power of the authority you position over you. And if the power that, that's over you is your authority, then you live in your own power. And you're limited by your own power. But you can access God's ruach, the power of the Spirit in your life as you choose to live under his authority. I want you to think about a military soldier for a minute. If a military soldier is not connected uh, to his, uh, his, his platoon or his battalion or, or whatever it may be, and he just is acting on his own, he's acting in his own power. But when he's following orders, he's acting under the power of our entire military that is supporting him. See, this is the difference. Some of us try to act and live life under our own power instead of following orders. And when you follow orders, you are filled and you are backed with power. Jesus um, met a Roman centurion that recognized the power that Jesus, the authority, this is what he says, the authority Jesus was under. And he said, I, listen, I'm a Roman uh, centurion. I'm over 100 men. And I see the power that you're under and I recognize it's a power like I've never seen before. And Jesus told him he was one of the greatest men of faith he'd ever met. See, it's counterintuitive, but, 
maximum freedom and maximum peace and maximum power in your life comes when you choose to position yourself under the authority of God. Big, big idea. This is maybe the most important idea of today. If you want to be filled with the power of the Spirit, endless filling of the power of the Spirit comes through active trusting of God in our lives. When you actively trust God in your life, what happens is you put yourself, you position yourself to experience an endless filling of the power of God in your life. It's not some mysterious, weird thing. Now, the power that he gives us is mysterious. You're going to go, I don't know how I could do that. I don't know how I made it through that. But, but the, the, the way in which you receive the power of his spirit, it's, it's by choosing to submit your life to the authority of God. It happens as we come to know God's word and we begin to trust God's word in our lives. Choosing obedience over trying to control the outcomes on our own. Choosing to surrender is how we access the empowering presence of the spirit of God in our lives. Several years ago, I was in probably the most difficult leadership season of my life. And um, I was struggling both in leadership and in life personally. And I was trying to, I was thinking, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should quit. Maybe I should do something different. And, um, and I remember one day, particularly having a really hard day, we're in the middle of budget cuts and um, we had to lay off several of our staff. And one of the guys was, had become a good friend and he was sort of, he was at the, at the executive level in the organization and it was a really hard conversation. And, and on my drive home, I just thought, I don't know how much more of this I can do. God, I feel like I'm doing the right things. I'm doing the right things of what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just don't see how this is gonna work out. And I was really wrestling through that. And I got home and um, it had been a long day and um, Jen was already getting dinner together uh, for us as a family so we could have uh, dinner. It was a Thursday, I remember, because I worked Sunday to Thursday. And it was a Thursday, so it was sort of like my Friday, because I take Saturday and Sunday, or excuse me, I take Friday and Saturday off. So this was sort of like my Friday night. And so Thursday, I got home from work, and Jen's getting things ready and, uh, for dinner. The kids are running around. And I grab a bottle of wine, and I open the bottle of wine. And I thought, hmm. So this is how this starts. And I thought, I should say that out loud which is a lot harder, by the way. And so I said, babe, you know what? I think this is how this starts. And I don't really remember um, what happened after that, not because I drank the whole bottle of wine, but just because I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember what happened. I, I, just, I, I remember thinking, I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna do this because I, I, I was realized I, I'm doing this because I needed this. I don't want to give anything that much power in my life, let alone something that comes out of a bottle. And so here, here's the thing real quick. By the way, if you feel judged by this, this isn't a message about alcohol, whether it's good or bad or sinful or not. This is about anything that you give power in your life that you're going you're gonna to be dependent upon. You need to be dependent upon something. You are dependent 
The world teaches us that becoming mature is moving from dependent to independent. It's what we learn at every stage of our lives. You're trying to become independent, stand on your own two feet, be financially independent, relationally independent. The spiritual life is just the opposite. It's choosing to move from independence to dependency on God. And you need to be dependent. If Jesus needed help to live his life, certainly we do too. And here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, the same spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. He's in you. That same power. I mean, that's a golf clap. I mean, this is like extraordinary. Come on. (laughs) No, it's too late. It's too late. Too late. Look, the same spirit that Jesus relied on every step of his life, we as believers have access to. That's why he said, wait, hold on. I'm gonna send you help. You're gonna need it. And he will empower you at every step of your life. Some of you are facing things right now and you know you can't do it on your own. You're not sure how much longer you can take it, how much longer you can do it, whether you're gonna make it through or not. Here's the thing. The power of the Spirit of God can empower you through anything you're facing, however overwhelming and overpowering it feels. If you're not a Jesus follower and you're here today, here's the thing I want you to know. Choosing to surrender your life and place your faith in Jesus will give you access to that same power of God to deal with whatever you're facing, whatever brought you in these doors, whatever brought you back to church or to church for the first time to give it a shot. Let me just ask you, what have you got to lose? You've trusted a whole bunch of other things to help you to get through, to empower you. Why not give Jesus a shot? So here's what I wanna do in the next few moments. I wanna pray. I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that empowered Jesus at every step of his life to do what he does best. Gotta ask him to help you. Because he will. He can. Scripture says that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. They will be rescued. They will be given hope. They will be given help. And that Spirit of God, He's given universally and He's given continually as we position ourselves under the power of God by trusting in Him. Would you bow your heads with me? As everybody closes their eyes. I'm just going to ask, if you're here today, I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. If you're here and, and you want me to pray for you specifically that the Spirit of God would, would fill you and empower you to face whatever you're in the midst of, to empower you to live your life, would you just raise your hand? Just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And you're, you're, some of you are not even in the room I'm in. And you're going, you can't even see me. You may be in, a, in your house somewhere or somewhere around the world. This isn't for me. I, maybe I can't see you, but God sees you. And he responds to people who choose to surrender, people who raise their hands. So if it's you, just today in a spirit of going, I surrender, I need, God, I need the power of your spirit to deal with what I'm dealing with. Would you just raise your hand real quick? Would you just lift it up and receive this as I pray for you? God, I just pray for everybody who's courageous enough to say today, I need your help. It's really all of us, but for the people who are in the midst of something that, that, that feels overwhelming, God, I pray today, that they would sense that you see them, that you're near to them. I pray that you would give them crystal clarity about what the next right thing is to do in their lives and that you would give them the courage to do it knowing that as they trust in you, 
You will empower them. You will fill them. In the same way, in the most difficult seasons of my life that I've trusted you, I pray that you would be near to them, that they would sense your nearness, that they would sense your strength, that they would regain joy and peace and hope even when the circumstances, before the circumstances change. I pray that you would fill them with the power of your spirit today. We call you on the promise that you made to us to do that. And so I just ask today on behalf of my friends that you would come through on their behalf. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.